There's so many times when you get email.
and welcome to Weekly Review with Roman. Today it's Friday, January 17th, 2020. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio. We're in San Francisco. We're on Remitosh Ohlone land, and you can find out more if you go to remitosh.com, and that is R-A-M-A-Y-T-U-S-H.com. Also, please check out the Shumi land tax, and that's S-H-U-U-M-I land tax, and that will bring you to the Sigorite land trust page. I've got a show coming up. I tend not to use adjectives before the show because I can't predict the future. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll get to some news, music, lots of other things here. Start off the show with some music, as we always do. Well, I would say over 95% of the time we start off with music. And my recent thing is going to the library and getting out records, because we've got two record players here, and I appreciate listening to vinyl. So I've been uh, exposing myself to some new music, um, and yeah, just wanting to play some music for the listeners out there. So this is the band Audio Slave, which some folks might recognize. Uh, it's a combination of, it's Chris Cornell from Soundgarden and the band from Rage Against the Machine. So I remember hearing a couple of their singles and I guess they're on my mind in that Soundgarden was nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They didn't get in and that's okay. Um, however, I, Chris Cornell just has a, such an incredible voice that I felt like listening to it and they happen to have this at the library. So that's what we're going to do. I'm not going to talk too much else about it. And, uh, it, there's a lot of things I'm angry about in the world. That's per usual as one I think should be if one is witnessing as to what's happening and, uh, Yeah. So starting off with a more of a local story, I've been sharing information about Moms for Housing, and that's a group of working unhoused mothers and their kids who took over a vacant house in Oakland. And there's over, I think the it's about, there's four vacant houses in Oakland per unhoused person. So the idea that people, like, they're... Uh, I'm going to get so angry if I start talking about this. However, I'm going to talk about it a little bit. And then I'm going to play an interview that they did with On Democracy Now. And uh, I can't even, I've been talking about it all week. And now that I'm on the air and I have a microphone in front of my face, I can't find the words because I'm so fucking angry. And also not surprised that the state would come in with a tank. Uh, sheriff, the sheriff's office, they came in with uh AR-15s, they arrested mothers, they arrested folks who were protesting, then they also boarded up the house and put a fence around it, which was, before the mothers and their kids moved in, it was vacant, so no one was living there, and folks were like, hey, listen, there's a housing crisis, we need housing, everyone deserves shelter, let's uh, let's move in. I see absolutely nothing wrong with it, and I feel like all vacant buildings should have folks living in them. It's, not, it's like a no-brainer to me. And... The Wedgwood, which is the company that owns it, which is not even based in the Bay Area, they own several, they own a lot of properties. They got upset about this and they hired a PR person for lots of money to try to spin themselves as if they're actually helping people when they're not, they're actually causing harm. And then there was a raid on the house and they knew the uh, mothers who were there, they knew about it, but they weren't sure because the sheriffs are never like, oh, we're gonna, they don't, they lie, they don't communicate effectively. And so hundreds of people rallied to uh, to show up and stand with the mothers. And then the morning, that following morning at like six in the morning is when the sheriffs uh, showed up and just banged on the door and 
arrested people for seeking shelter. And when one thinks about the, it's first of all, it's state terrorism. It's causing trauma. And also, if one is looking at the strictly the financial aspects of it, how much is the city fucking spending on terrorizing people when that money could be used to help people? That money could be used to provide housing. And also the mothers offered to buy the house and the company refused to sell it to them. <sighs> so yes, money that goes to you know, funding state violence could go to providing housing, could go to building our infrastructure, could go to providing health care, could go to providing food, could go back into the schools. There are so public transportation. There are there's so public you know, public gardens out there. There are so many libraries. Oh my gosh, I just you, you, there are so many uses of there's so many things that can actually help people and instead the state decides to use that to terrorize people, to buy weapons, and to cause harm to families. Fuck them. Oh, so angry. Okay, so that's, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. That's totally disgusting. And now uh, I'm going to play an interview that some of the folks gave on Democracy Now! And this was posted on January 16th, and you could find it on democracynow.org. If you search for hashtag moms for housing, meet the mother and daughter, armed police just evicted from a vacant house in Oakland. And... Uh, they've got a few different parts here. So I'm going to... to play pieces here yeah so again this is coming from democracy now and we'll be back uh, in a bit this is democracy you now. heard slap and slap and slap on the ground she looked down not 40 steps from her house and then and there the sky and was my red. apologies it started in the middle here of the interview so Three whole minutes of red meat falling. Not we are gonna see if we can. Which farmer crouch would have been just at home. Move it up a little bit here. And this is part one: tanks and AR-15s. Moms for Housing speaks out after militarized eviction from the house. And it's fast-forwarding to that part of there. And they show video footage as well of the sheriffs coming in. They also have, throughout everything that was in the house, like on the sidewalk when it was like raining and everything, so just disgusting. And they have video footage here. So I'm going to go back to the, uh, the first link that I had here, and we'll start with that. They were occupying for two months. 
A group of unhoused mothers were evicted Tuesday from a vacant house in Oakland, California, they'd been occupying for two months. As one of the mothers, Dominique Walker, joined us live on Democracy Now! from a studio in Berkeley, sheriff's deputies carried out a pre-dawn militarized raid aimed at evicting the mothers. Just after 5 a.m. Tuesday morning, dozens of armed deputies, including a tactical team, descended on the house on Magnolia Street, broke down the door with a battering ram, and sent a robot into the house, allegedly to search for possible threats. The deputies then arrested two mothers who were living in the house, as well as two of their supporters. All four were released on bail Tuesday afternoon. So we're joined by one of those mothers and her daughters right now for part two of our discussion about what took place. Misty Cross is with us. A member of Moms for Housing. Uh, we're also joined by her 12-year-old daughter, Destiny Johnson. And with us, Carol Fife is back, the director of the Oakland Office for Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment, organizer, mom, educator, 20-plus-year resident of Oakland, who was in our studio Tuesday morning in Berkeley when the battering ram um, came up to the house and the women inside were arrested. Misty, in part one of our discussion, you describe what it was like to be inside and the trauma you felt. Um, then what happened? You were handcuffed and taken out? Correct. We was handcuffed and taken out. We were told by the sheriffs that they were going to release us once they took us around the corner to the paddy wagon. That did not happen. Um, a couple of things that the sheriff says have not been true and have been lies. Um, Ahern gave us paperwork as we were put into the paddy wagon in handcuffs with his letterhead on the top of it, stating that they had some shelters for us to go to, and that was the help that they were assisting us with, not with two months' rent, not with trying to be concerned about our health or our condition or where we were to go next. It was a paper with his letterhead on it given to us in cuffs, saying, take this with you as you're going to jail. And Misty Cross, you were released uh, on $5,000 bail? Correct. And what happened to all your property that was inside? I mean, to be clear, this house was vacant for two years, owned by Wedgwood Properties. You went in in November. What happened to all of your things, your family's things? We were told that negotiations had happened with our legal team and city officials and the sheriffs for us to be able to go in the home the following day at 10 a.m. to remove our things with our moving truck outside. Before 10 a.m., there was PG&E construction work going on, and they had movers there taking our stuff out in trash bags, throwing it to the curb. Our things were brand new. There were things that we paid for. There were things that our kids built, their bedroom sets. Every artwork that they made and created to, that we used to make this house a home was on the streets. Babies' chairs, strollers. It was a sad sight to see. It was really hurtful, and it showed real hurt um, in the anger that Wedgwood is really built on. It, it showed that they have no sympathy or nothing for the people. And while we are trying to build something, they're tearing it down. And even though we haven't had any neighbors' problems, we were welcomed in by the neighbors, we've been doing successful things, nothing violent, and to have that done to us after the fact that we were arrested and went through a lot, 
it just showed true colors I mean, of what's the, really happening. The video of what happened in the days leading up to this eviction, with hundreds of neighbors coming to show their support in the middle of the night, with a text going out, in 15 minutes you had hundreds of people there, was astounding. Yeah. Um, Misty, your daughter Destiny is sitting next to you, 12 years old. Destiny, before we go to ask you directly about what happened, we wanted to go to a video of you uh, that was made when you were inside the house in Oakland, before you were evicted, talking about um, what the house means to you. This was produced by Sweenworks. Okay, so what's the what what? What's going on? What's happening? My mom and lots of other moms, all who have young kids, all who are experiencing some kind of homelessness, took over this abandoned home, a vacant property, a house no one was living in for close to two years. We fixed it up, now we live in it. We made it a home. And here it is. And here it is. Now I have a clean and quiet place where I can do my homework. So in the morning, when the sun comes up, I like to sit on the back steps and read. And it has this little front yard with the trees. I worry, I do. I worry a lot. I worry for my mom because she puts herself out there. And I worry for my little sister. She's only five. She's a kid. She doesn't really understand what's, what's going on. And I know she's already fallen in love with having a place to call home. Place to call home. Destiny, that was made by Zweenworks. Um, talk more about what it meant for you to have this house, to be there with your family, um, and then where you are right now, what happened to you this week? Um, what it feels like to have a home, it's like more comforting knowing that you could like go to school, come back and go home and go to sleep and your mom can cook for you, you guys can have dinners at the table. Um, we were able to, as you, if you saw the pictures, we were able to put up a Christmas tree. Haven't done that in a long time. Um, we were able to have a nice Christmas and decorate the tree together as a family. Destiny, you were not in the house when the battering rams and the robot came in Tuesday morning. Misty, um, you her mother. Talk about the decision to take the kids out the night before. Ah. We had got the children out at 5 p.m. the that evening before the sheriffs came in the next morning. So we had a gathering out in front, and we knew that the sheriffs were going to serve that eviction within that time frame of the 24 hours that they had left. They had up until Wednesday, so that day that they came was Tuesday morning. And they planned it perfectly, the way that they did it, and waited for Dominique and Carol to go on air and assume that the house would not have anyone in it. That That is the way that they did it. 
I want to go to what happened that night before uh, in a, a really interesting video that was made of the gathering of people and how the, everyone fought for you to continue in your house. Stop the eviction! We won't move! Stop the eviction! We won't move! My name's Nicole. I'm an organizer with Mom's House Solidarity Committee, and uh, we just got word that the sheriffs were on their way to evict Moms for Housing. Um, and so we sent out a text blast um, to over 1,800 people, and that was maybe 15 minutes ago. As you can see, um, we've got hundreds of people showing up um, to defend the house, um, which is a really beautiful and awesome thing. Um, and so we're here, and we're holding fast. Thank you for your support! People are out here, the community has had enough. We've had enough. And it shows you that we've we've had enough and we're gonna fight back. plans to run up in here tonight. That didn't happen. They were on the 5 o'clock news saying that they would be indoors any minute. And then they had a, another person here saying that they would come in at 7, and they didn't. So I think they understand how, like Dominique said, how the town get down. So we got report that it was on CNN that the sheriff said there would be no entry tonight. That is definitely reason for applause. And at the same time, we don't trust the sheriff. Please go home if you have a home to go to and get some rest because this is still the beginning of a fight. The piece produced by Brandon Jordan and Marianne Meckelberg. Um, which brings us back to Carol Fife, a longtime housing organizer. If you can put all of this um, back into context and how it is uh, that, I mean, the courts, of course, you all went to court and the judges ruled you could be evicted. How common is this? And um, this issue of, um, uh, the number of vacant houses and the mass number of people who are unhoused in the Bay Area. Yeah, it's um, it's staggering. I uh, uh, came to the studio this morning and saw encampments that I've never seen before. There are enough empty units in our city to house every homeless person that needs a home. There's enough. Scarcity is not the issue. What's the issue is that we have an economy and a real estate industry that puts profit over people. So as long as we allow speculation to happen, we will always have people that are living on the streets. Because when our minimum wage doesn't keep pace with inflation and people are working, making anywhere from three to uh, fifteen dollars an hour, and are not making the housing wage for Alameda County, which is $40.88 per hour, you will always have a wealth gap that doesn't allow the average working class person to participate in the rental or home purchase economy. It's just not going to happen. So we're going to continue to see this kind of rampant homelessness. 
which should be the, the true crime that um, our cities are facing. We need answers, we need solutions for that. But I also have to, 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 um, to say that there needs to be a level of accountability for the Alameda yes. County Sheriff yes. for bringing in the paramilitary forces in the way that they did to serve an eviction notice on women and children. The fact that they battered down the door, not only the exterior door, but an interior door to the living room is, is beyond overkill. So we demand justice and we demand to know who authorized that level of use of force in Alameda County that had tanks and military personnel at a home in West Oakland. And Destiny, uh, I wanted to ask whether you know other children who are in the same situation as you, other children you went to school with, uh, who also didn't have a home. No. No, you didn't know none of your classmates, no one you knew also didn't have a home? Nope. So what was it like for you to be the only uh, uh, person, the only student at school who had no home to go back to? Well, it's it's been a long time, so it's sort of like I got used to it. So after school, I used to go to my after school program, and there it's fun. I like going there, and there they treat me like um, everyone's little daughter, and it's so hilarious. And tell us what the shelter is like right now. So you've all scattered um, to different shelters since you were evicted just a few days ago. Um, what it's like to be in the shelter, how, Destiny, does the shelter compare to the house you were in? The difference is— when you're in a shelter, it's like when you're sleeping, someone like walks by and it's like you get the feeling of somebody like watching you while you're sleeping. And when you're in your own home, you don't have to worry about that because you know you'll be safe. Misty, Wedgwood Properties that owns your house, uh, the house that was vacant for two years before you moved in, um, offered you two months um, housing cost. Is that right? You rejected it. Can you talk about why? <laughs> the, off was, the offer was false. And as we can see now, when we got arrested, what the offer was, the offer was nothing but shelters. It was shelter help. They failed to realize and pay attention to the fact that we had been through the 211 process. We had been through the social service 14-day stay in a hotel. We had been through all the resources that this county and city has put up, and none of them are working. So we wanted to come to the table with folks, and that's the reason why we reached out to a lot of officials, city officials, mayors. Um, county workers, to see if they can support us with coming to the table and negotiating for us to purchase the home from Wedgwood, um, and supporting us into also showing up for us when it comes to changing policies and listening to us about the solutions that we have that can work towards making homelessness end within our own city. Cal Fife, can you talk about uh, this controversial local housing bill, SB 50? I, I can speak um, to that a little bit. Uh, Senate Bill 50 is was introduced by Senator Scott Weiner uh, to the Assembly, and he is 
trying to um, create more housing in the state of California through building high-density housing near uh, public transportation. And uh, one of the issues and concerns of this bill that uh, has failed previously is that it, it still creates additional market rate units and uh, doesn't do enough to provide affordable units. There is, in Oakland specifically, building is happening. And the problem is, is that the building that is occurring, the de development that's occurring, is not for working people. It's not for people who can afford um, uh, rents that are in line with their income. So they're still market rate units. They're still luxury units that Misty wouldn't be able to access, that the Moms for Housing wouldn't be able to access. So it was particularly um, disrespectful to have a housing conversation about um, a statewide bill for affordable housing without talking to any affordable housing tenant or resident um, grassroots organizations. And to do it in a city that um, the senator doesn't represent was, was odd. And so the, the reason the mothers participated in that event when they announced SB 50 in downtown Oakland was because the mayor had gone, the, the mayor of Oakland had gone on the news that morning mentioning Moms for Housing and had never talked to Moms for Housing in the same way that Senator Weiner had not spoken to any resident-based groups in Oakland about what the amendments to Senate Bill 50 would be. So it's just an overall disregard of um, community voice in this process that continues to perpetuate homelessness on our streets. Let's go to uh, the mayor of Oakland, uh, Libby Schaff, speaking to KTVU Fox 2, expressing shock over the tactics used in Tuesday's eviction. My heart goes out to those mothers. These are mothers. They're not criminals. They are mothers that have engaged in what I believe is a courageous act of civil disobedience to really highlight our housing crisis. And I was pretty shocked to see the tactics that were used to take them out of the home in the early dawn hours this morning. When you listen, uh, Misty, to your mayor, to the Oakland mayor, Libby Schaff, expressing shock over the use of the battering ram, the police moving in, um, your thoughts? Unbelievable. Unbelievable that a mayor of a city wouldn't know that all of this tactic, things were about to happen in her own city. I, I, I can't believe that she feels any compassion towards us. We looked this lady dead in her face the day that the SB 50 was going to be introduced to Oakland, and with tears in our eyes and crying to our mayor and letting her know that she should come to the table to sit down with us, this lady had a cold, stale face look. It was sort of like a poker face. She showed no sympathy for us. It was really sad to look our mayor in the eyes and for her to verbally tell us that she's done with being the mayor of Oakland. It was really hard to just take it all in at once when we're going through so much and putting our lives on the line and being vulnerable for people to examine our lives inside and out. Um, it was just disrespectful for her to get on the news and to say that she couldn't believe that 
when I can't believe that any mayor or any representative of this city wouldn't know that that type of force was about to happen. That hadn't happened without a call. They called the mayor and let her know that that was happening. Um, so we do need to find out who let that happen and hold everybody accountable. I mean, it was fire departments, ambulance out there, SWAT, uh, tanks, sheriffs, OPD. It was too much force for our mayor not to know. Mm. Carol, if you can talk about the significance of this. And also, I mean, we came out to the Bay Area and did uh, specials on uh, the unhoused population, California ground zero. You have t California's 12 percent of the U.S. population, but has half the country's unhoused population, from Los Angeles to the Bay Area. And you have the pressure of the tech companies just pushing up the cost of housing stock in, in the Bay Area. Uh, in November, The New York Times wrote, Apple's $2.5 billion plan to help solve the dire shortage of affordable housing has come to dominate life and politics in the most populous state. The pledge came weeks after Facebook announced $1 billion for a similar program, months after Google did the same. Um, earlier in January, Microsoft committed $500 million for affordable housing in the Seattle area. Where is all this going? And do you think, Carol Fife, that is the right direction? What do you think has to happen? When we were in Oakland, what, there were, like, 90 different housing—there um, uh, were, like, 90 different housing encampments. I'll say this. I do think it is not only uh, important, but I think it is obligatory that private industry should have to contribute to the housing crisis, because they are, in part, responsible. I do think that there should be conversation with organizations who are working with and um, for resident-based organizations who have shown a track record of success for, for ensuring that there's permanent housing. What the state and a lot of these organizations are trying to do, these companies are trying to do, is create homeless assistance, creating temporary shelters. People need permanent housing. People—the the people living in encampments, many of them, the majority of them, want permanent housing. Everything is able to be um, better facilitated when people have access to a stable and secure place to live. Everything—education, health care, um, mental health, the ability to actually deal with substance abuse, to, to raise children—everything is more— uh, possible, and our society is better, when we have permanent housing. And this permanent housing has to be owned by community, not privately owned in the way that we're used to these single transactions, but through things like the land trust. We've been able to house dozens of individuals in a short amount of time that we want to bring to scale through the use of the land trust, which makes the homes um, owned by the residents and the land permanently owned by the community. Um, in a land trust. So that's the model that we're advocating to return homes to community control and um, take the commodification aspect of, of residential housing out. And how do the housing courts work? I mean, you all went to court um, and lost in case after case. 
the, the housing courts work as basically a mill to grind people down and send them out to the streets. And I, I, I tend to believe that the particular judge in the case for the um, moms, I think he cares. I think he deliberated on this case and didn't immediately immediately judge on the case because he's he cares. But his hands are tied by the law, which is why we have to change the law. And that's one of our primary goals with my organization is to change the law to make housing a right. That is something that we've been talking about and working towards for the last few months. And that's what we're building popular support Definitely. to get people ready to vote, to change the Constitution of California so that housing is a right, just like access to water is a right. We want to give Misty and Destiny the last word. Misty, what message do you have for people in this country, housed and unhoused? I would say for people of the world in the country that we just have to stay focused, pay attention to what's happening around us, and start supporting one another. This hatred that we hold and the jealousy of things not going our way has to be buried. We have to stay focused and fight for bigger causes that really impact our lives. We have to make a change as people. We have to come together and stand strong. And Destiny, your message to other kids and to adults. Like, don't be afraid to share your story because it's always okay to open up about it. And, um, and you're not the only one who's homeless as a kid, so don't be afraid. Well, I want to thank you all for being with us. Um, Destiny Johnson, 12 years old, her mom, Misty Cross, who's part of Moms for Housing, and Carol Fife, director of the Oakland Office for Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment. To see part one of our discussion, go to democracynow.org. And just before that, on Tuesday, we were speaking to Carol Fife and Dominique Walker, another mother of Moms for Housing. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman with Nermeen Sheikh.
And welcome back to the weekly review. Got a news story here for all you listeners out there. And this is another local story. This comes from El Cerrito, which is in the East Bay. And this is from a website, ElCerritoProgressives.com. Drones are here. Why the city council should take action. And this came out on January 14th, 2020, uh, EC Progressives. The ACLU, Oakland Privacy, and El Cerrito Progressives have been requesting the city to adopt an ordinance on police surveillance since 2017. Despite these requests, the police chief has pushed to rely only on internal policies and procedures, which may be changed at any time without public input. We fully respect many of the policies being... They say they respect the policies being offered by Chief Keith. However, an ordinance would provide greater accountability for an issue as important as surveillance in our community. Sometime in 2019, and without public knowledge, El Cerrito Police acquired a drone. In October, the police held a poorly advertised and poorly attended public meeting to hear public comment. Only groups already aware of the situation attended the meeting in addition to one or two concerned community members. At the meeting, Chief Keith presented the draft drone policy, listened to public feedback, and informed attendees that the next step for adoption of the policy would include a revised draft presented to City Council. At the meeting, members of the varying organizations advocated for consideration of an ordinance to strengthen both accountability and transparency for the acquisition and use of all surveillance technology. Chief Keith and City Manager Karen Pinkos continued to resist this idea ignoring long-term concerns about the prevalence of surveillance tech. And it's a shame that if your last name is Pinko, is that you're not a Pinko. Anyway, that's my view on that. (sighs) We are calling on the city council to take a long-term view of surveillance policies in our city. We ask the council to codify their beliefs, practices, and transparency about police surveillance in a city ordinance. The advantages of an ordinance... Surveillance technology is multiplying rapidly and will grow more extensive and privacy challenging over time. This is just the beginning. A policy may be changed at any time for any reason. An ordinance is only changed after a public process. Protecting citizen privacy should not rely purely on voluntary acts by unknown future city officials. Making these policies into law ensures that our beliefs and practice will continue in the future, no matter who is in charge. Frequent public discussion slows surveillance creep and encourages surveillance to be used only when the benefits outweigh the drawbacks. More frequent communication and accountability to the public improves community trust of the police force. So what you can do is attend the El Cerrito City Council meeting on Tuesday, January 21st at 7 p.m. at El Cerrito City Hall. Make your voice heard. To make public comment, simply fill out a comment card provided by the city clerk at the time of the meeting. If you cannot come in person, you can view the meeting via the city's website, either live or the next day, and respond via email to the city manager, police chief, and city council members. You can join El Cerrito Progressive's efforts to continue to advocate for a surveillance ordinance, and they have a Google form on their page. And again, you can find this if you go to elceritoprogressives.com. I've shared this also on Twitter. You can follow me at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. I've shared this, which uh, Media Alliance shared. So yes, you can check it out there. And please do spread the word if you know folks who live in El Cerrito. I'm going to flip over the record here and play a little bit more Audio Slave. And then we'll be back with another news story, which is... 
it's yeah uh, it's it's depressing however it's important that we know what we're up against because if we don't do anything then you know bad things will continue to happen How's that for a plug? I'm, it's one of those days where I'm wearing sweatpants. Let's, let's put it that way. Oftentimes, if I'm going out, try to wear nicer pants. And today, whew, just felt like relaxing. So here's, this is a song I think some folks might recognize, uh, Like a Stone. We'll be back uh, in a bit.
back though Everything is alright All we need is some direction Every time the wind blows Everything you don't know Turns into revelation And it all ends up inside your head Time is wasted A South Dakota bill would criminalize trans minors' health care. Because when the state's not actively trying to remove kids from their homes, they want to deny people health care. And this was written by Joe Yurkaba, and this came out on January 16th, 2020. Medical professionals who provide affirming health care to transgender minors would be charged under a would be charged with a felony under a bill South Dakota lawmakers introduced on January 14th. The bill is the state's latest attempt at regulating the lives of trans youth. In 2016, South Dakota was the first in the nation to pass a bathroom bill, which prohibited transgender students from using bathrooms that corresponded with their gender identity through its legislature. Advocates tell Bustle this latest bill will criminalize the care that young trans people need to survive. House Bill 1057 makes it illegal for a medical professional to perform gender-affirming surgeries or prescribe testosterone, estrogen, or other medication that would help change or affirm the minor's perception of the minor's sex, the bill states. It also defines sex as a biological state of being male or female, blah, 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 based on sex organs, chromosomes, and endogenous hormone profiles. The bill makes one exception. It allows parents or guardians to give doctors permission to treat a minor with ambiguous sex characteristics or those diagnosed a disorder of sexual development. Chase uh, Strangio, Deputy Director for Transgender Justice at the ACLU LGBT and HIV Project, tells Bustle that the bill uses a medically inaccurate definition of sex and makes it a crime for doctors to provide the care that their profession has determined is medically necessary. Strangio points to the fact that the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Endocrine Society, and a number of other major medical organizations have established that this kind of evidence-based treatment is consistent with their standards of care. It's essentially a bill requiring doctors to risk the lives of their patients for no medical reason, the only reason being dislike and fear of trans people. And they share a, a tweet here from Jillian Branstetter on Twitter, and that's at G-B-B-R-A-N-S-T-E-T. 
E-T-T-E-R, the Endocrine Society, a, the, a governing body that sets standards and best practices for hormonal treatments and health, are condemning policymakers in Texas who have politicized and mischaracterized transition-related care. That was out on October 29th, 2019. Recent news stories involving transgender children have made their medical care a ripe topic for the spread of misinformation. In October 2019, media across the U.S. reported on a Texas couple's custody battle for their seven-year-old child, who the mother, a pediatrician, maintains is a transgender girl. The child's father disagrees and also claimed that the mother wanted to medically transition the child, which the mother denies, saying it would not be appropriate for a child of that age. The endocrine not. The Endocrine Society issued a statement in response, writing, claims that a transgender child would receive surgical or irreversible hormonal treatment do not reflect the reality of medical practice. Rather, the Society's evidence-based guideline recommends that transgender people of all ages be encouraged to experience living in the new gender role and assess whether this improves their quality of life while receiving ongoing mental health care. When a transgender adolescent can receive hormones or gender-affirming surgery is often determined on a case-by-case basis by their medical provider, but many medical organizations recommend deferring hormones until the individual is 16 years old. The Endocrine Society also noted that trans people who are denied health care are more likely to report having suicidal thoughts or suicide attempts. <sighs> Susan Williams, founder and executive director of the Transformation Project, a South Dakota-based nonprofit that supports trans youth and their families, tells Bustle that legislation that targets trans youth has been ongoing in South Dakota for over five years. At this point, the legislators who have been pushing these bills have had ample time to hear the voices and stories of the kids these bills will harm the most, she says. The fact that they continue to file bills like HB 1057 displays a shocking disregard for the well-being of kids by ex- by making an exception for the medical treatment of babies born with ambiguous sex characteristics and the ambiguous is in quotations Strangio says the bill also encourages surgical intervention for intersex babies, which is medically unnecessary and harmful to intersex young people. He notes that not only is performing surgery on intersex babies done without their consent, but the practice is also considered torture by the United Nations. Strangio says the bill sends a message that the state is so invested in attacking a group of young people that they are willing to criminalize the medical care they need. Trans people's survival needs are going to become a crime, he says. The bill is as close as you can get to criminalizing the status of being trans because it takes away people's ability to live safely and healthily and fully. Williams says that people who live in South Dakota who are outraged by the bill should contact their legislator. People in other states, Trangio says, should check if there's a similar bill in the works in their state. They can also raise public awareness about HB 1057 by posting about it on social media and talking about it. Strangio says advocates supported South Dakota organizers in 2016 to help defeat the anti-trans bathroom bill, and the governor ultimately vetoed it. We need people to share their stories of supporting their young trans people, he says. We need doctors to speak out about the dangers of this type of legislation. We need everyone to talk about how, as a country, we're not going to tolerate our states making it a crime for some groups of people to survive. So again, this article was from Bustle, and it was written by Joe Urkaba, and that's Y-U-R-C-A-B-A. <sighs> going to take a, a deep breath. It's going to move along to another 
story, and this might take just a moment for me to pull up as it is somewhat related. And it's just about people having autonomy over their own bodies. And this is from Narrell, uh, N-A-R-A-L. I'm on their email list, uh, Narrell Pro-Choice America. And the email states, anti-choice extremists are desperate to end Roe v. Wade. Earlier this month, 207 members of Congress, including so-called Democrat Representative Dan Lipinski, called on the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. This is our message to every one of them. Your time in Congress is limited. Come election day, you'll be replaced by pro-choice champions who will uphold our reproductive freedom. And so right now they're looking uh, for folks to add their voice now, their name, uh, to pledge to vote out anti-choice extremists and elect pro-choice leaders who will defend and expand rep reproductive freedom in 2020. Anti-choice extremists are salivating at the, at the chance to overturn Roe v. Wade for good unless the new anti-choice majority on the court – oh, under the – excuse me, under the new anti-choice majority on the court, and they've never been closer to achieving it. In March, Supreme Court will hear June Medical Services, LLC versus G the first major Supreme Court challenge to abortion access since Brett Kavanaugh. Fuck you, Brett Kavanaugh. I would spit if I wanted to spit over the microphone. And I'm psychically spitting on him and all anti-choice folks out there, especially people in positions of power who think they can control other people's bodies. Fuck you. <sighs> okay, so this is the first major Supreme Court challenge to abortion access since that fucker's confirmation. And Roe hangs in the balance. The future of reproductive freedom and abortion access could all hinge on how we organize, mobilize, and vote in the 2020 election. For far too long, politicians have interfered in pregnancy decisions they have no place in. No one should be able to dictate our futures but us. This is our opportunity to make sure anti-choice extremist politicians pay the price for attacking our reproductive freedom. Show them that when they come for our rights, we'll come for their seats. So you can now add your name to pledge to vote them out. And I am going to do that myself right now. And again, you can find this if you go to, it's on actionnetwork.org. Action and I think if you follow Narrell as well, Narrell Pro-Choice America, you can find the information as well. Right now it's a little over 16. 16,586. I am going to also sign my name here. All right. Put in all the info and adding my name. So lots of organizations are also supporting this. I'm also going to tweet it as well. There we go. All right. So next up, I did want to um, share something slightly positive because there are positive things that are happening and granted the positive things that happen quite often are when negative things are stopped from happening or prevented from happening or something that's been bad for a while is people fight back against it and they end it so i do want to keep in mind lots of positive things are happening because so many folks have been organizing for so long this comes from lambda legal finally seventh circuit Seventh Circuit affirms that same-sex couples must be recognized as parents on their children's birth certificates 32 months after it was argued in court. Wow. Seems like, again, like a no-brainer to me. However, glad this is happening and uh, glad that progress is being made. Take another music break. We'll be back again in a bit with some upcoming events that folks can participate in. Once upon a time, I was all 
Excuse me to the weekly review got a couple of events coming up that folks can participate in this is for folks who are in the bay area this is from uh, aptp the anti-police terror project and their latest email we all just witnessed how the alameda county sheriff's department sent tanks and machine guns to violently evict black moms and their babies this kind of police terror on our streets is unacceptable and we're committed to keep fighting for a world where human rights are prioritized over corporate profits in the spirit of mlk's legacy of radical resistance we invite you to join us this weekend and on mlk day to demand housing as a human right an end to police repression to close the camps no school closures climate justice now and no more war join us at our sixth annual march and rally to reclaim mlk's radical legacy and this will be on january 20th at noon at oscar grant plaza and which is at 14th and broadway in oakland for decades mlk's legacy has been whitewashed often portrayed as a passive figure in truth he was a radical leader demanding rational change, an end to capitalism, to war, to empire, to poverty, and to white supremacy. Some of the speakers include Rob Bonta, California State Assembly District 18, Nikki Fortunato-Bass, Oakland City Council, Moms for Housing, Isha Clark, Youth vs. Apocalypse, Yolanda Banks-Reed, Mothers Fight Back, Barbara Doss, Justice for Dujuan Armstrong, Itzel Calvo, California Immigrant Youth Justice Alliance, Bayon USA, and the Black Organizing Project. And they provide a link where you can RSVP to the March and Rally. Prior to the March and Rally, kick off the hashtag ReclaimMLKWeekend at any of these events leading up to Monday. Friday, which is today. Okay, this was this morning. There was a wake-up call by Surge, Oakland Bay Area at MacArthur Bart. And there also was... Um, Oakland Climate Strike and Resilience Village, which was at Oscar Grant Plaza. So tomorrow, Saturday, the 18th, Guerrilla Housing, Reclaiming Dr. King's Legacy of Radical Action by the Village. And this is Saturday, the 18th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at East 12th Street and 14th Avenue in Oakland. Next is the Degentrification Tour of Black Arthur by Poor Magazine. And that is Saturday the 18th at noon uh, by Poor Magazine at 8032 MacArthur Boulevard in Oakland. And I also want to uh, recommend uh, Poor Magazine. If you type it in online, you'll also find their, their podcast, which I highly recommend folks check out. On Sunday, 
Five Methods Workshop by Community Ready Core Allies and Accomplices, Sunday, January 19th from 10 a.m. to noon. That's at 2501 International Boulevard in Oakland. Next is Alternatives to Policing, How Not to Call the Police, and that's Sunday the 19th from 2 to 5 p.m. at the First Congregational Church of Oakland at 2501 Harrison Street in Oakland. And next is uh, the Santa Rita Jail Support. Also happening on Sunday the 19th, 4 to 8 p.m., which is at the Santa Rita Jail, 5325 Broder Boulevard in Dublin, California. Monday, which is the day of the march and rally, there is Baby Breakfast Blockade for Moms for Housing by Abundant Beginnings, and that's Monday the 20th, 8.30 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. at Oscar Grant Plaza, which is at 14th and Broadway in Oakland. Next is the Reclaim MLK Youth Activist Rally by Abundant Beginnings, and that's the 20th, Monday the 20th, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., also at Oscar Grant Plaza, 14th and Broadway in Oakland. See you in the streets, APTP. So please do, if you're able to follow Anti-Police Terror Project, um, check out their meetings. If you're able to donate, they I've learned so much from this organization. So please do support them in any way you are able to. And next up, um, some other, uh, I had it up, but I'll, let's see. Another email from another organization that folks can and should support. And that is uh, CARE, which is C-A-I-R. And they have events as well. There's one happening Saturday, which is tomorrow. January 18th at 2 p.m. So I'll, I'll read their email as an opening as well. Next Monday, January 20th, is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, day. We invite you to join CARE SFBA and the Muslim community as we mobilize together with our community for justice. We hope that you can join us at one of the events below to commemorate a civil rights leader who fought against racism, hate, and complacency that allows for separation and pain. Events include on Saturday, January 18th at 2 p.m., Reclaiming the Real Legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, which is at the Dr. Martin Luther King Library, 150 East San Fernando Street in San Jose. On Monday the 20th at 11 a.m., there's the MLK 2020 March with Islamic Relief San Francisco at Cal's train station at 700 4th Street in San Francisco. Monday the 20th and 1130 a.m. is the previously mentioned MLK 2020 March in Oakland, starting at Oscar Grant Plaza in Oakland. They also have some upcoming events I wanted to share. Friday, next Friday, the January 24th from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. at... Masjid al-Salam in Oakland. There's a free naturalization application and fee waiver assistance with CARE SFBA's legal staff and partner organizations. So again, that's a free citizenship clinic next Friday the 24th, 4 to 8 p.m. at uh, Masjid al-Salam in Oakland. And also there's a movie night next, or let's see. What day is it? On Thursday, January 30th, from 7 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. at their office is their monthly movie night, and this month's featured film is Fruitvale Station. I highly recommend folks check that out. It's a free event. Light refresh, light refreshments will be provided. And also I wanted to do another movie plug for a movie that's out as well, Just Mercy. I really want to encourage folks to see. Please do check out that film. They also have a candidate forum coming up on January 31st. It's a Friday at 7 p.m. at Masjid 
Zakaria, uh, 42472 4, 42, Albrey Street in Fremont. And Saturday, February 1st at 5.45 p.m., Evergreen Islamic Center, 2486 Ruby Avenue in San Jose. They also provide a way folks can get involved through either Civic Engagement Champions, uh, which is a volunteer group which plays a crucial role in in ensuring the community is informed about and engaged in the 2020 census and elections. Also, internships and clerkships, job opportunities as well. So you can they also have links to news articles, including them uh, monitoring Iranian Americans who are detained at the Canadian border, and they have lots of news as well. So again, if you you can follow them online, they also have a Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn account, and I get their emails, which are super informative. Uh, C A I R dash S F B A, and I believe they have chapters across the country. So if you live elsewhere and you're listening in please do find your local chapter okay i feel like that's been it i know that there's just in a way there's a lot and also it doesn't feel like there's a lot and uh, there's so much so i'm going to continue playing some more music uh, i think for the rest of the program we got some guests lined up for the next for the 31st and march already and looking forward to those shows also you can check out the archive at mutinyradio.fm the last few years Excuse me, are up there. Also, we're raising money at the station as per usual to help upgrade our equipment, which is super necessary. So, if you go to mutinyradio.fm, you can, I believe, find the link there. Also, on Venmo, there's Mutiny Radio at Mutiny Radio, all one word. You can donate that way. We also have the Comedy Festival coming up once again this March. So, please do stay tuned for that. If you would like to donate to the show, it'd be super helpful. I'm trying to raise money to cover the dues. So, if you go to patreon.com forward slash weekly rev, you can chip in anything you're able. Greatly appreciate it. You can also Venmo me, Venmo, R O M A N dash R I M E R. Big thank you to the folks who have donated over the years. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Thanks to all the listeners out there as well. And I think that will be it for this week. Oh, I knew there was something else. Uh, got, I encourage folks to also pick up your the street sheet. There are vendors who sell them all over the city. Please do um, get the street sheet. There are versions of street sheet in various other cities as well. If you go to streetsheet.org, you find out more information, which is it's independently. This one's independently published by the Coalition on Homelessness. It's been going on since 1989. And they are starting their own podcast, which I'm really looking forward to listening to. It's called Street Speak. They say it's a brand new podcast produced by the Street Sheet that answers your questions about poverty and homelessness. Our first episode talks about the 30-year history of the Street Sheet newspaper, what our mission is, and what exciting changes have taken place this year. Plus, here the headlines impacting homeless people as well as the featured song from Tay and the Jung Ladas. So tune in on Spotify or on our website to listen. So again, if you go to street, let me find it. Here we go. Yes. Streetsheet.org. You can find more information, pick up a local paper if you're able. And thanks so much for listening. And we'll be back with some music and we'll be back again next week. So have a great week, everybody.